one knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And how's everybody doing? Big Dave and Joe just talking poker as usual here from South Florida. Uh, the Seminole Hard Rock uh, showdown it got underway uh, over the weekend. And uh, uh, to be honest, I haven't even looked at the final results <laughs> of the first event. But uh, they were into day two after several opening days. So we'll check that during one of the breaks and we'll give you a little results action here. Uh, but uh, several things going on in the world of poker, including the Global Poker Awards, which took place uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, sadly, so, uh, Tony Burns did not win for Tournament Director of the Year. But I want to run down the awards because a lot of people that are involved have been on the program before. People we have gotten to know and like over the years. And uh, we got a few comments about what happened and uh, maybe get some Joe's thoughts on who he would have picked. Uh, one of the cool things was... There was uh, an award called the Charitable Initiative Award, which was uh, run by one won by Robbie Straczynski from Israel. Uh, he did taped a uh, response to winning the award, and they ran that at the show, which was, of course, in Vegas this year uh, at the Aria. But uh, as a matter of fact, uh, his uh, initiative was called uh, Run Well, and it involved him running 1,000 kilometers over the course of a year. And uh, you know, chipping in a dollar for each one himself, and getting some poker players to—that's uh, a little it. over six hundred miles there, right? Yeah, six twenty-one, he said. There you go. So uh, he—I'm uh, glad to see him win it. He's such a nice guy, and uh, has been had some fun with us on the show here a couple of times. He's actually finally, for the first time, made his first trip to the World Series of Poker last summer, and um, you know, spends most of his time at home in Israel. But uh, where there's not a Hell of a lot of poker being played, to be honest. There is some, and there are some very good Israeli poker players. But uh, for the first time, he really got to see what that was like and really had a great time and uh, wrote up a lot of good stuff. He had a very long interview with Daniel Negreanu uh, that was over an hour that he wow. uh, transcribed and put on his site. So if you ever get a chance to go to his site, which is called Card Player Lifestyle. It's not actually connected with the magazine, but uh, it's called Card Player Lifestyle. And, uh, the you know, if you've got a little time, it's well worth reading the uh, Negreanu interview. We'll mention Negreanu tonight, uh, later in the show, uh, talk about his plans for the summer, because he has some interesting thoughts on what he's going to do a little bit differently this year. And Phil Helmuth has also uh, taken the time to tweet out his uh, goals for the summer, and we'll get to some of that as well. Uh, Maria Ho is... Uh, also uh, out for a big summer with both broadcasting and playing. She oh. just recently won a $25,000 buy-in high roller. Uh, actually defeated Kristen Bicknell head-to-head play. So uh, if that I remember will be correctly, Maria Holes also had two pretty nice deep runs in the last two main She was events. the last woman standing uh, twice. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I remember her being, you know, I don't know. But I think she got under 100 players yeah. into the main event twice at yeah. Le- that yeah, she, I can remember. She definitely has. So we'll uh, we'll get to some of that as well. Uh, I want to start off, though. Uh, well, there's, a, there's an article. Let me start off with this. Uh, there's an article on a weekly basis on Poker News called The Muck, which is basically kind of like a lot of Twitter and Instagram stuff that 
about poker players that they post that are pretty funny and interesting. And there were two things on there that really piqued my interest. One was uh, Natasha Mercier uh, sent out a video, and this was really funny. Uh, You'll have to check it out later when you get home tonight. But she said, uh, basically all she said was, nah, we we don't really miss poker at all. (laughs) <laughs> and they showed the video, and it was a close-up of Jason uh, was laying down on the, on the bed with the, or the couch with the, with the baby. And you could just see the edge of the baby and his diaper and everything. You could see Jason's hand. And there were these little round ho- uh, baby toys that you had a, had a hole in the middle where you could put them on a stick. Right. And anyway, it's like four of them. And Jason is shuffling these <laughs> things like a poker chip, which, uh, you know, obviously he was very good at. And uh, so he's, he's shuffling them up and, and stacking them and then throwing out like four of them for, for like a bet. And that was that was her whole thing was that they really, really miss poker, <laughs> and they're having a great life in a really nice apartment, and I think it's in downtown Miami, But uh, and have a beautiful baby that they're having fundraising. But, uh, you know, I think they'll be back at some point, uh, probably Jason before Natasha, but both of them want to play poker again as well. So uh, I thought that was very interesting. The other thing from the article was Jason Bonomo, uh, Justin Bonomo uh, posted a um, picture of him signing some cards. He goes, my first card ever from Tops. And there's a there's an old-style card called Allen and Ginter that they make. They have diff- different sports. And I'm not sure if this is a whole poker set. Probably not. It's probably just something they inserted in a baseball set. But... It, Jason is signing these cards, and they're the little thin ones that are about maybe half the size of a regular card. And I think they might have been like tobacco cards uh, years ago, but they're they're well, a the, remake. The of very those. famous one of um, Honest Wagner. Yeah, yeah. that because he hated was uh, was in a, c- a cigarette cigarette thing, and didn't and he? It's yeah, a he tiny didn't, one, and he yeah. was. Uh, it's bigger than smoking. that. <laughs> it's bigger than that, but Allen and Ginter is a very nice old-fashioned card. And uh, he was he was autographing the cards to go into the sets, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I mean, he is a star of the game now, and uh, there's no question about that. But uh, he said they would be available this summer, so if people want to check those if out. He's not the hottest player over the last, probably last 12 calendar months. Uh, he's definitely right up there. Yeah, I would say he probably is. But um, he didn't win player of the year. And that's where we'll start out tonight. Uh, the first awards given out at the American, uh, not the American, uh, the Global Poker Awards, which is a combination of the former American Poker Awards and the European Poker Awards. Right. They brought it together for the first time. And they had the uh, ceremony was on April 5th out in Las Vegas. Uh, it was, I said the ARIA. It actually was at the Poker Go Studios. So it was shot for TV. And you could pick it up if you have Poker Go. I was going to, and then somehow I missed it. I was working, and uh, it was a little bit tough. But uh, but a 74-minute show, uh, and uh, the awards were given out. Uh, we would have liked it because the women kind of stood out. Some interesting uh, women won awards, including uh, Broadcaster of the Year went to Maria Ho. Journalist of the Year went to Sarah Herring. And uh, Industry Person of the Year was Angelica Heil who is with the WPT, but I've worked with her several times uh, on a couple of tournaments, and uh, she's a good person and really does a great job for the game of poker. But uh, Maria's obviously been on the show with us before, and um, 
I don't think that we have had Sarah on the show, but I did work nearby her out at Vegas a couple of years ago in the in the press area, and uh, she was pretty cool. Auntie Chardonnay is her <laughs> is is her uh, handle on uh, Twitter. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so let's go run down the awards. The first two were the player were the um, player of the year and female player of the year, and it was the boyfriend and girlfriend Alex Foxen, one for the men, and Kristen Bicknell, one for the women. So they both uh, got up and made their speeches. But I wanted to run down some of the awards. The Leafs give uh, you an idea of who is respected in this industry. If we, we mentioned a couple of them before, but I didn't run down the whole list, and I'd like to do that. Uh, not a tremendous amount of awards, so it won't take that long. But tournament performance uh, was up, the, up for the award was Justin Bonomo for the Super High Roller Bowl, Maria Lampropoulos of the PCA main event, John Sin for the SOP main event, and Dylan Lindy for the Five Diamond World Poker Classic. The winner was John Sin, and uh, someone we've had on the show, obviously, uh, for a short interview. Uh, breakout Player of the Year, the uh, nominees, uh, Ali Imsarovic, Maria Konnikova, who was the writer who uh, worked with Eric Seidel and became a poker player uh, and learned it. Ping Lu was also nominated, and Christopher Michael Soiza. Uh, Ali Imsarovic was the, uh, was the winner. Streamer of the Year, which is all the uh, online stuff where you can watch the games and commentary. Uh, Jeff Gross, Jason Somerville, Jaime Staples, and Lex Veldhaus, and Veldhaus was the winner. Vlogger of the Year, which are video blogs um, that you can uh, check out and learn a lot about the game. Uh, Maria Cordero, or I'm sorry, Marley Cordero, Joe Ingram, Andrew Nimi, uh, Daniel Negreanu, and Doug Polk. Uh, Andrew Nimi was the winner. Podcast of the Year, which we were hanging on the edge of our seat for. <laughs> the LFG Podcast with Chad Holloway and Jamie Kerstetter. Poker Central Podcast, Brent Hanks and Remco Rinkema. The Poker News Podcast with Sarah Herring and Jeff Platt. Chip Race Poker Podcast with David Lappin and Dara O'Kearney. And the Pocketfives.com Podcast with Lance Bradley and Donnie Peters. And the winner was the Chip Race Poker Podcast. Uh, broadcaster of the Year, Lon McCarron, Maria Ho, Nick, Nick Schulman, and Lex Veldhaus. Maria Ho is the winner, as I mentioned. Journalist of the Year, Drew Amato, Sarah Herring, Remco Rinkema, and Kristen Zecchi, who I've never read any of his stuff, but uh, he's from Europe, so I guess that's why. Anyway, Sarah Herring won the award there. Media Content of the Year, Drew Amato's article or photo on Doyle Brunson bids farewell to the WSOP. Uh, Lance Bradley with his book, The Pursuit of Poker Success. Haley Hintz with her article on Gordon Vio versus Poker Stars. And Poker Central for the Super High Roller Club with Nick Schulman featuring Ali Najad. The winner was Lance Bradley. Uh, industry person, we mentioned Angelica Heil. The other uh, nominees were Kerry Katz, Matt Savage, and Ty Stewart. Oh, and also uh, Rob, Rob Young. Uh, tournament Director of the Year, Tony Burns uh, from right here in South Florida, Seminole Hard Rock, Paul Campbell of the Aria, Jack Effel of the WSOP, and Kenny Hallert of the Unibet Open. Jack? Nope. It was no. Paul Campbell. Got the really? Mid-Major Tour, Circuit of the Year, uh, 888 Poker Live, Run Good Poker Series, Unibet Open, WPT Deep Stacks, and the Circuit, WSOP Circuit, and the winner was the Run Good Series. The event of the year went to the WSOP main event, uh, out beating out Party Poker Caribbean. 
the five diamond and the super high roller. Moment of the year uh, went to Justin Bonomo for winning the big one for one drop, completing the streak of super high roller events. Uh, also, uh, Jeremy Hilserkop won a PC, uh, PSPC Platinum Past. Uh, Joe Cotta winning the closer at the WSOP, uh, registering for the event moments after finishing fifth in the main event. And taking that down, that's right. Uh, Doyle Brunson playing in his final WSOP event, and uh, those, those were the other three nominees, but it went to Justin Bonomo. And just to mention other quick uh, trophies, uh, the, the Pocket Five's Legacy, Legacy Award went to Chris Mormon, the People's Choice Award to Brad Owen, and the jury prize to Drew Amato, along with Robbie Straczynski, winning his uh, charitable initiative, and Doyle Brunson got a Lifetime Achievement Award. So, anyway, well, that was a quick rundown on Well those. deserved for that Lifetime Achievement yeah, Award, abs- huh? absolutely. And I don't think we're going to see him much anymore uh, out there in Vegas, but you never know. Uh, sometimes you get the itch and uh, you got to scratch it. Yeah. It's just you're not going to see him in any big, long tournaments. You know, I'm sure at his age, it's got to be got to be very tough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, there was one article that I pulled out today, which I'd like to talk to uh, Joe about with, after our first break. Uh, we kind of stumbled on this girl that writes on Card Player Magazine called The Dealer Chick and issues that dealers have. And uh, with Joe... Uh, Spending much of his poker life as a poker dealer, uh, not as a woman, but as a man. But uh, <laughs> this is uh, uh, unique to uh, women poker dealers, and there are many. Uh, what would you say the split is now when you go to a major tournament? It's about almost 50-50, isn't it? Well, major tournaments, I wouldn't know, Big Dave, to be honest with you, because I haven't gone well, the to rooms it. But the rooms, the rooms down here... Would you say about 50-50? At least. Or at more least. women. More women than men. It, 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 I, I would believe there are some poker rooms that have more women than men. I think overall maybe just a few it's, more men It's than just women. the industry has leaned, uh, tilted that way, uh, you know, especially down here. I don't know about the rest of the country, to be honest with you, but it has tilted that way because of the amount of money that they're making. And every room would love to have, you know, very capable and, you know, professional female dealers that are attractive, you know, Unfortunately, as we've spoken many times on this show, it's a male-oriented still because you don't have that large percentage of women in the room. So, you know, uh, most men would like would 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 prefer to see a female dealer. Well, the name of the article is uh, "What to Do About the Abusive Big Tipping Fish in Your Poker Game," and you you uh, mentioned it a couple of times over the last month or so that a lot of the players who act out the most are the ones who tip the highest so they people put up with a lot of their crap and and be honest with you early in my days when i was a dealer uh yeah you know i I would imagine most dealers and most that have worked for me and that i've worked with probably 85 percent you know put up with a behavior from a very good tipper that there is no chance if the person doesn't, like, if, if it's someone who doesn't tip at all, you know, or gives you a tip every two or three hands, they wouldn't put up with that for a second. Right. And yet they'll put up with it because the people are, you know, the, that particular person. And it's unfortunate trend that has just continued in, in, from when I was dealing all the way now to, yeah. to where I'm at today. Well, it doesn't have to even be sexual type harassment. It can be a lot of different things. This particular one that she starts off her article with uh, was something she dealt with, and she talks about how important it is to learn how to deal with those things and not 
uh, not sell your dignity because someone's tipping well. Exactly. And when she, if you read her article, and I know you'll get into that, it was at the early start of her career. Yeah, exactly. Most, most, I, I never encourage, I mean, not to say encourage, I, I've never told any woman that they should be, you know, they should allow themselves to be treated the way she was treated in this incident. You know, and again, as a father of three daughters, yeah. I'd want to kill somebody <laughs> if they did that to one of my daughters, you know. Exactly. So, Well, lots of things to talk about. We'll start with that when we come back. You're listening to Poker Action Line. Thanks for being with us. So we try to keep you up on everything that's happening. We'll get you some results from uh, the uh, Seminole Hard Rock and uh, talk about a few things at the table. A lot of stuff happening uh, in the world, as usual, as we hone in on a lot of big tournaments coming this summer. We'll be back with more of the show when we come back here on Poker Action Line. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Can you tell if this burger contains bacteria that could cause kidney failure? Listen. Can't. Can you? You can't see it either. There's only one way to tell if you've cooked meat and poultry to a bacteria-killing temperature. Use a food thermometer. It's not an extra step or a nice-to-have. Raw or undercooked meat may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by using a food thermometer every time. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. WFO Radio NHRA Nitro is all about the NHRA Drag Racing Series. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night, following NHRA national events, NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Big Dave and Joe on Poker Action Line. Uh, just quickly, I wanted to give you the Seminole Hard Rock Cosette. Event 1 uh, took several days. It was a 570 uh, they had a million-dollar guarantee, and they actually ended up with almost $1.5 in the Ooh. pool. Uh, $2,958 to kick off the series. And uh, came down to Nick Amati and Robert Polmeyer that finally uh, made a uh, chop at the very end. Uh, both players walking away with an even 209000 or almost 210000 Oh, they split it evenly. They split huh? it evenly. So uh, I guess I, I would I imagine they were very were close, close in chips. I think so. Jeff Kessler finished in third place, and fourth was uh, let's see, fourth was Alan Beeler. So uh, that was the first event. They actually started event ten today, so there was a lot of overlap with a lot of mixed uh, 
mixed uh, items. We'll look some of those up as well and pass some of those along to you. But I want to get to this article. Um, we have some other poker news that we'll save for later in the show. But, again, what to do about the abusive big-tipping fish in your poker game. And uh, the dealer chick uh, got the question from somebody that says, what's the most out-of-line thing ever to happen to you at the table? How do you deal with bad-for-you-yet-good-for-the-game jerks? And I guess a very obvious fair question. Uh, she was working early in her career on a PLO game, 5-5 PLO game. And one of the players uh, that was sitting in seat 5, which is obviously is directly across from the dealer, was trying to, had his shoe off and was trying to run his foot along the inside of her thigh. And she has some funny things. She says, you know, I, I flirt as much as the next person. It's part of the job. I'm not really offended when men hit on me or tell dirty jokes. She said, so you put up, you know, you put up with a lot of it because that's how you make your money. So you do need to have kind of a thick skin. But she said, uh, she said, when a customer crosses the line uh, by feeling he has the right to touch me, uh, that's where uh, things are a little bit different. And she has a funny line about, uh, she says, I'm wiggling my bottom half back and forth under the table to keep his toe from finding the mark. <laughs> that was put, as, that was put as, as well as it could be put for for, for uh, magazine. Well, I guess if, if the fact that we're laughing at it, it probably would not be uh, acceptable to a lot of women hearing this to the show. Oh, but uh, listen, absolutely not. And she said she was a very young dealer at that time, just starting out. And... Listen, that's not acceptable at any time, to be honest with you. You know, the the first part where she said the flirting, the uh, sometimes, you know, crude jokes, you know, unfortunately, that's part of poker. Yeah. You understand? The physical part, which you, which you just described yeah, there, that's, uh, that, that's I don't care right. how good a tipper somebody is. I would have ran him out, but now here's the well, scenario. She went it, to the supervisor. And they didn't run him out because I would imagine he was tipping this floor, people. He was tipping everybody there well, right. so everybody knows they're making money when he's in the room. But now, you you know, eventually, you know, you're, you're trading your integrity for, for money. She said she felt degraded, but she also knew that she was very new at uh, doing this and uh, maybe felt like, you know, she didn't want to interrupt the game and make a big deal out of it. So she went to a supervisor and told him what happened. And he said, well, that sounds like him. Was he at least tipping you? And she said, yeah, Redbirds, which so he, what, told me so it was $5 that, tips. What does that tell you with that response that the supervisor got that she's not yeah, the first exactly. person that he did that to? And guess what? As I ran my room, I never allowed, you know, anything like that that any woman complained to me about or even the cocktail waitresses that work in the in the poker room. Um, but I would have approached them and said, listen, we appreciate your business, we appreciate everything you do for us, but I can't have you doing that to my dealers. Yeah. And, you know... Which is the way you would have handled it. That's how I would have handled it. And I go, if I get another complaint, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the room. Right. Now, without her telling us how big a room that is, because I'll tell you what, really big rooms, listen... He may have some supervisor that's constantly on his shift when he's playing poker and stuff, but, you know, a, a true poker room manager will not put up with that because eventually they will definitely cross the line. You know, you're looking at a ma – listen, she told him, you're looking at a major HR. You're looking at a hostile work environment lawsuit right. by them not taking care of that. Now, that's obviously sexual and touching and that sort of thing, but she goes on to tell the story about her boyfriend who was also a dealer 
they talked about a player who would uh, only throw the red birds or red chips, $5 chips, to dealers who are willing to bark like a dog to get one. Uh, he pushed a pot of any size. If you bark like a dog, he throw you a red bird. Otherwise, you got a dollar. Uh, he, or he would say, uh, no bark, no treat. Yeah. So um, she said to the boyfriend, I, I hope you told him to shove it. And he said, hell no, I barked, and I barked so many times that uh, I even barked when I pushed pots to other players. I easily made 100 bucks on that down. And I think it's how you handle it. You know, if you think he's doing it to degrade you, I wouldn't do it. But if he's looking to have fun on the table, then I would have joined with him. You want a German Shepherd bark? You want a Poodle bark? What, what kind of bark? What gets me a $10 tip or a $15 tip is how I would have handled it. <laughs> you understand? All right, if I'm going to bark, you're going to have to pay me more than $5. You know, a, five, a red bird. So, again, everybody's makeup is a little different. I look for it as a joke. Again, if it was meant to be completely degrading because this, this, you've got to know the, the customer, the player, I, you know, I wouldn't do that. I've I've actually told a player who was just a miserable person with everything that he said and did. People hated him. They would tip me, and if one day he wins up, like after I had pushed him, I don't know how many pots over the months that he played there, and he finally goes, here, I guess I can, you deserve this after all this time. Yeah. And he threw me a dollar. I waited to, sh- to set up the cards. I grabbed the dollar. I go, listen, you need this more than I do. Yeah, and I exactly. threw it back to him. Well, that's what she said. She kind of combated things like that with humor. Uh, this is where the story gets interesting to me, though, is the comment. She said that a dealer had told her one time that he was said, uh, announced at the player by a player, that he said, these dealers are whores. They'll do anything if you throw them a dollar. And that's where it becomes really degrading. Uh, you Ridiculous. Know, I... I may have been suspended or fired if if he had said that at my table. <laughs> I would I, I would have I would have mentioned like this if he had said that to me. I would have mentioned like this. Please don't confuse me with your mother, and that and that would have probably gotten me into a little bit of trouble. But you know I, I'm not going to put up with that. And that lets the rest of the table know that you know. Yeah, she said that uh, you know this is an industry that views dealers as disposable tools of the trade, uh, but your dollar does not buy my dignity. And, uh, like I said, that's how I would have handled it if somebody had, tells me that on the table. Uh, she says that you know you need to develop a skill to deal with players who treat the trips, the, the tips they throw, as their free pass to be an offensive jerk. And uh, she said eventually, you know, you may I, put up with it for a while, but it's I, not for long. Listen, I have dealt with many people that she's describing. I, no one's ever told me that it's been physical, but I've dealt with abusive customers that love to be abusive but are tremendous tippers when they win a pot, okay? And, you know, they start aggravating your other players. And I know it's hard for the dealers, and obviously, you know, as a dealer, I may have compromised my integrity a little bit with some of these jerks, but as a supervisor, I promised I wasn't going to put other dealers through this. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole different situation. And guess what? I'd go up to them. I said, look, and I always just said like this. I told them, I said, I know you're having fun. I wasn't 100% sure all the time, but that's how I started the conversation. But I can't have you saying that. I go, I can't have you treating my, my dealer like that because everybody on the table is going to think, we, we, we appreciate all the money you give us, the tips, very kind of you. But I can't have you saying those comments anymore because that's going to give free liberty to everybody else in the yeah, table exactly. to do the same thing to every dealer, and I won't put up with that. And that's how I've handled it. And guess what? Outside of one or two, you know, 
who, you know, one, I mean, the, the guy was, like I said, always nice to me, but I had comments, and when I pulled him aside and more or less said what I just told you, he goes, hey, I don't appreciate you signaling me out. I go, well, I don't appreciate what you're doing on the tables, yeah, exactly. and you don't have to play in my room. Well, I think, so, <laughs> I think I these articles are great to kind of, cause a lot of people just don't, either don't know any better or just don't really think very deeply into the situation. Of they don't, that, because if you're not a dealer, okay, you see how the people, the seven or eight, nine other players that are on your table treat a dealer, okay? And they come in, and you'll hear different comments about certain, de- you know, certain dealers and all of that. But you don't know the jerks that are on other tables. You know, you may have decent enough players that everybody treats the dealer with respect and kindness. You don't see that. And then the f- one time there is somebody, you know, you know who complains for the dealers a lot of times? Some of the other players. Right. They'll come up to me and say, hey, listen, I know the dealers don't say anything because they're tipping the real, but this guy's really crossing yeah. the line. And I'll pull them off. I pull them off the table. And most of them have calmed down and apologized to me and apologized to the dealer when they sat down. And you do depend on your good regulars to kind of help police the action there. Exactly. You know, it's funny because even when dealers make mistakes, uh, I've had people come up to me, listen, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but just to try to make the room better. Uh But certain dealers now, again, once they explain the situation, and I go, all right, I, I can kind of figure it out from where he's been sitting and who's been doing the, the pushes on his table. But when a serious situation comes up that the dealer doesn't want to say anything because they're afraid, it's a young break-in dealer, I always say, listen, if you don't tell me who it is, I can't help them because I can't sit here and guess and, and assume that it's somebody and, and then it's not them. I go, so on a few occasions, I've kind of forced them to give me the name of the person not to get them into trouble, right. just to help them because they're uh, for some strange reason some dealers are afraid to mention anything because they think they're going to get written up or suspended or fired. I've never ran my room with fear. I just wanted to be, you know, people to be happy at their jobs because a happy dealer gets hands out, makes the room, everybody in the table, you know, enjoy themselves. I don't want anybody who's afraid because they're going to make mistakes. It's going to create even more problems. So. I always appreciate when a customer tells me, I go, don't worry, they're never going to know that it was you. Now, you're back at a room that uh, has reopened after being closed for nearly three years. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I've heard a few things here and there that, that you have a lot of new dealers and, that are just and, breaking in. And, and I've heard there's been some really pretty rough uh This is, I'm not going there. to lie to you, this is the roughest crop of break-in dealers that I've ever dealt with. And, and you know. You I have any veterans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have some okay. outstanding, uh, you know, that, but we didn't get a lot because once the room closed, you kind of get a reputation. And, you know, we're building on this. We've been open now about five weeks, a little bit more. We're building this up. Now, unfortunately, and again, I'm talking about some of the break-in dealers in my place, so you know I'm telling you firsthand knowledge, but they have not picked up the nuances of the game by now, with the hours that they've put in, yeah. Because let me tell you something. They're never going to every that, good huh? dealer that I've ever known when they've been a break break in dealer, and I know they've turned into you know just outstanding dealers. Usually, within by the time you've accumulated a hundred hours of dealing time, and most of them probably fifty hours, they're doing almost as well in the mechanics of the game as any experienced dealer of ten or fifteen mm-hmm. years, because they realize. If my mechanics are good and quick, 
it, this is what I always tell them. I go, you want to know how you should be motivating yourself? If you get out an extra four or five hands in an hour and two different downs between the tables and you're doing now, and all you have to do is cut out the mistakes, at the end of the week, when you get paid at the end of the day, you're going to see the difference in your tip box. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and it's not going to be, you know, oh, I made an extra 30, 40 bucks this week. No, I made an extra $200 this week. Yeah. And when they see that, all of a sudden they see the motivation. The good dealers, good break-in dealers who know they want to see what an experienced dealer makes, especially down here in South Florida where I've had dealers make $600 in, in six hours of dealing. And they're like, I'm going home with 120 and I'm like, well, they're not making mistakes. They know how. And I've always told them, <clears throat> as a dealer, I've had, I've had many conversations with players in there. One thing I told them, and I've asked them to watch the experience here, is my hands never stop moving. Yeah. I kept it. I could have a conversation with you while I'm getting. And now with the shuffle master, it's even better because I used to do it, you know, the old-fashioned way, is, as these dealers will tell you. You have to shuffle the deck, and I'd be shuffling, having a conversation with you. And then I go, all right, guys, let's go. I wouldn't lose any time. Yeah. Um, the only time, the only time I I lost time on a table was if a player <clears throat> was cashing chips and I had to cash them in, or there was a problem between two players on the table, or one just being a jerk to me. Then you call the supervisor over because they're gonna they're gonna make you create a mistake, have a mistake, which is what some of them want them want you to do. And I tell them these people stop and have conversations, and they're not moving, they're not dealing cards. And it costs them money, and it costs the house money. I can tell everybody that Joe is like the master of remembering like hundreds of jokes. <laughs> He'll come and tell us. I can't remember. If someone tells me a joke, I'll laugh my ass off. And, and a week later, I couldn't retell that joke to save my life. I don't know why. I just don't remember those types of things. But you always do. Do you still tell jokes at the table now? Oh, yeah. Well, and I there's do, a time and place for I everything, do, right? Right. I would tell. I like. If the, if I see that there is you know that the table is is all in on this you know they're all having fun because most of them are dirty I opened up most a of them are dirty jokes well I won't say that obviously <laughs> too loud there if I, but my dirty jokes don't really go way over the line as right. far as the dirty jokes but what I do do is I have fun with the players not so much as telling jokes you know and 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 stuff and I. Again, all I know is I dealt for 20 minutes in a 1-2 game because we were tied up with dealers. We were waiting for one to break in. So, you know, I jump in there. I made $34 in tips. I dealt 12 hands, okay? Got $34 in tips that I made in just 20 minutes, and I got 12 hands out, okay? <laughs> and I had them all cracking up because they'd say something, and, you know, I'm going, oh, you're just a, you're just a glutton for punishment doing that. And, you know, whatever it was, I, I wish I could remember the, the banter I was having with them, but I'm quick-witted in that particular way where, you know, uh, I remember one of my favorite ones was, and, you know, forgive me out there, but I had a, men of, a, a table of nothing but men. There was no women around back then, and a very well-endowed, beautiful young lady walked past us, and I said, well, guys, there's a pair that could be three of a kind any time, you know. <laughs> and they all died of laughter. And, you know, so that, that's more or less my humor because I've, I've told more jokes on the poker table when I've been a player than actually as a dealer. My dealing days is I try to make fun of 
what's ever happening at the moment or something that's been said. Well, let me ask you one other thing that I've been thinking about uh, now that you're back working on a regular basis. You started off as a dealer. You became worked all the way up to the poker room director of a, of a good-sized room. Uh, you went back to dealing again. You've done gone back and forth, and now you're a shift manager yes. again. So you're, again, in a position of authority. Uh, you're probably happy that you're not running the room because there's all that extra stuff that a guy has to worry about that you don't have to deal with. My, yeah, my, but my, my former assistant has to do with all has to handle all that pressure and but, everything. But I'll ask you this: uh, you mentioned when you came in tonight that uh, things are a little stressful now. Uh, so when you're a dealer, the stress really wasn't there at all. Now you're back with a little bit of uh, responsibility, and what do you prefer? Uh, and how do you adjust back to being a supervisor? Well, you know, Dave, as you well know, I'm I'm turning 60 in a few months. I know we were born the same year. You turned it just uh, last month. Dealing, as, and i be honest with you, if you ask me of all the stuff that I've done in, in the poker, from training to supervisor to, you know, everything, dealing was the most fun I've had. The most that... Not to say I felt proud, but I enjoyed being the poker room director because I ran the room the way I wanted it to be run, and I treated my customers, you know, uh, the way I wanted them to be treated. When you're a dealer, you, you you are handling the people, but they move and shift around. As a poker room manager, most rooms l- survive on their regular, everyday customers. Yeah, they'll leave to go to a higher promotion or a certain tournament, and sometimes when you run your promotions, you're going to grab other people you know, coming from their casino. But I always made it a point to, for almost everybody, and again, God bless me with a memory that, that I remember. And once I took the time to speak to you, they'd come up, Joe, hey, and your name is so-and-so. It's just like, you know, two people meeting for the first time, just talking casually. We have the poker room in common. And I'd ask them just simple questions about their lives, or they'd, or they'd offer up, the you know, some conversation concerning that. And I always took it upon myself that the next time that I saw them, okay, I would ask them about that. Sometimes they tell me, hey, how's I go, how's everything going? Oh, well, I have to take my kid to college and get them set up. Next time they came in, I go, hey, how's your son doing up at so-and-so? And you know what? It, it, I think it made a big difference because I've always said that the casino is the biggest industry in the world that thrives on customer service. Because you can go to a restaurant, a bar, buy a car, furniture, and the people who tend to you there could be nasty or rude. But at the very end, you gave them money and you took something of value back home. As a casino, being a former slot attendant yourself, I got to guess eight out of ten, if not eight and a half out of ten people lose money. Yeah. When they go to the casino, Absolutely. so why would you want to come back to my place after you just after you've lost five six days in a row? My only thinking for me to go back is they treat me, you know, they treat me with a lot of respect and kindness. That somebody's always willing to do something just a little extra for me, and you know what? You feel well treated, and you go, I'm going to continue going back. Yeah. But you just mistreat somebody one time. And, you know, they, they want to, and now in the social media era, you know, it's all over the place. Yeah. Well, that's the casino business because people can uh, pull money, uh, dollar bills out of their pocket and throw them on the street if the, it might be the same, close to the same thing. But if you treat them right, uh, they will come back and people just sometimes need a little bit of respect. Exactly. And and that's what I've, I think I've always been very big on. I've always insisted that my dealers do that. I know they don't all have my personality of like this. Some are more introverted, but... 
do your business professionally and with respect, and you'll make a decent, you'll make more than a decent living, and you'll have fun at your job. We have some other poker news to get out to you. We do want to take a break, uh, so we'll be back with more of the show when we come back. Um, did want to talk a little bit about some of the changes up in the Northeast. You know, you you grew up there, and there was a certain uh, poker scene, and it's constantly changing, but not necessarily. Uh, you can't you can't just rake the money in in all these places. I want to talk a little bit about that when okay. we come back. Okay, we'll be back with more of the show. Uh, Big Dave and Joe. From South Florida, we'll be back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables. With a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes. And if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. I want to make something of myself. I want to succeed. The National Guard recruiter helped me get where I wanted to go. The Guard is providing me with paid training. In the National Guard, I get money for college plus a steady paycheck. In the Guard, I train near my home. I'm there for my family, my community, and my country. And I'm proud to be a member of the National Guard. Call 1-800-GO-GUARD and ask how you can get the education and job skills you need in the National Guard. And welcome back to the show. Big Dave and Joe uh, taking a quick look at the Seminole Hard Rock. I can tell you that the ladies' event was won by Kathy Josie. Uh, One of our friends of the show, uh, Corey Zeidman, got a fourth place in uh, one of the tournaments. He... uh, Finished fourth in the uh, 360 Big O tournament. Uh, collected uh, about 2000 bucks for that. Uh, Steve Karp, a uh, former uh, co-host of the show on occasion in the early days of the show. And provided us a lot of great yeah, guests. Yeah, he was great. And uh, he, he was, the, when there was 35 players left in event one out of 2,800 and some, 
he was the chip leader. Unfortunately, ended up going out in 11th place. Uh, yeah. It's nice to say you were the chip leader at one point, but the only time it really matters is at the, when you're the last one standing. But he made 13 grand, so uh, not bad for a 570. No, not at all. I'd take that. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, Phil, we uh, chopped a tournament with somebody, uh, looks like, uh, another guy uh, who we've had on before. And uh, plenty of people having a great time over there. And we'll try to get over there during over the weekend. We'll see what happens. Um, I did want to talk about the Northeast poker scene a little bit uh, because I was reading an article about the uh, one that opened last March in the in the Monticello, New York, which is in the Catskills, Catskills, the southern southern part of the Catskills. Uh, it's owned by Resorts World. Been open for about 13 months. They have a 19-table poker room there. But uh, nice. this article is mainly about how the casinos are doing. And it's uh, beautiful. They said it's beautiful. The hotel rooms are big and nice views. Uh, the staff is friendly. Everything's nice and clean. And it costs uh, basically a billion dollars. But they are struggling, falling so short of revenue projections that people are already questioning whether they'll be able to survive long term. Well, you know, my, uh, the Catskills is a big vacation spot for a lot of New Yorkers right. in the city that that go up there. I don't know what, I mean, listen, without knowing the geographic, you know, uh, dynamics up there as far as how many people, if they can draw, you know. Well, people are so used to going to Atlantic City and the other places Well, right yeah, there but that, remember, you know, right place when, when parks opened up, the Philly people stopped coming to A.C., Right. And that was an hour ride. You know, AC has sucked. A lot of casinos have closed since New York, since Maryland, since Delaware. A, you know, AC was beautiful because they were drawing from, you know, three big, you know, cities in the United States. They were drawing from the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area, Philadelphia, and New York City. Now there's competition everywhere. I can't believe that they spent a billion dollars and didn't do more research I don't know who their closest competitors are, you know, how they built that casino. You know, sometimes you just spend money, but if it's not spent the, the right way for the right things, the, the stuff that your people want, you know, it's going to backfire. I look, look, look what happened with Boyd Gaming buying out um, uh, Dania for, I believe, it was $159 million that they paid, the, you know, the, the private owner. Everyone thought he was crazy for selling it because they said, oh, you're going to have a license to print money. And, you know, obviously that wasn't the case because Jeb Bush put such a stranglehold on the tax that they realized that it would take them over 20 years just to get their initial investment back. Yeah. They sold the place for like 80 or $90 million, so they, they took a, a huge $60, $70 million hit and never did anything with that property. I don't know if that's the dynamics here with this particular casino. Does it say that they've got competition? Well, is it, you know, they, was the tax rate changed after they they took over? As no, far as the, it's just the there's there's several in, in upstate New York now. There's one called the uh, the Empire City Casino in Yonkers. There's a casino. Well, that's in, not really that close to. to no, I know to it's the, not. Uh, but uh, I'm just saying in the area, you know, there's now a bunch around Philly. There's also uh, you know new ones in uh, in Massachusetts, the MGM Springfield. Uh, you know, Encore in Boston is is set to open, uh, owned by Wynn. Uh, that's coming soon, but the competition is is huge in all these places like Mohegan Sun and and uh, Foxwoods. 
that kind of dominated, brought people in from the city of Boston uh, and from all over New England. They've gone way down in their numbers because it's all spread around up there. Well, so like, poker is the same way. Yeah, like I keep telling people, you know, the gambling pie is only so big. And guess what? If you only have one or two or three competitors, you can all get a very nice big slice of that pie. Now you've got nine, ten competitors. That your your cost is about the same, and now you're getting maybe a third of the freaking revenue. And uh, yeah, now you know. Do you do you know? Did you know that the rate that they used to charge here in the state of Florida for any of the paramutuals was ridiculous? But you know what? They didn't care because everybody was making you know money hand over fist. Right. It was amazing because there was no competition. Then all of a sudden, the lottery came in. Now the person who regulates you, the people who regulate you, now become your biggest competitors. Yeah, absolutely. That to me has always been like, I don't understand how that works. And then when you have governors like we've had here that are so anti-gambling, but now once the, once the Seminoles and Mikasuki down here started offering you know, real high-stakes bingo games. They started putting their video lottery terminals. Now, the gambling public has a lot of different choices to choose from. Well, before, right. they only had one or two. Now, they've got here six or seven. And in that place, you just mentioned all the big cities that have casinos. I, you know, it amazes me that the corporation who bought that and built that thing up there didn't do a little bit more, you know, uh, research yeah. to see if th that investment would be wise. Well, besides the ones in New York and uh, in Connecticut, you got uh, the Philly area, which was at one time dominated by parks, but now there's Sugar Hill, uh, there's Sands in Bethlehem, uh, there's the Poconos as a Mohegan Sun also as well. Uh, so all these places are just having to be satisfied with a little bit less. So now you got Wynn opening the Encore, supposedly sometime this summer, June or July. Uh, in Everett, Mass., which is a northern suburb of Boston, uh, which will be obviously maybe the nicest place around and plans to cater to high rollers. But now that they're seeing some of these numbers up there in the northeast, that their projections got to change and they got to do some different things. Yeah, and I'll tell you who else. Uh, the Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods are going to suffer. Yeah. Because... Farther still. Exactly. You know, they're going to... Because they still get certain parts of New York and then the New England area... Has to go there. Now you're going to have you're going to be offered, you know, more opportunities to gamble. And like I tell, like I mentioned with Atlantic City, you know, these people would make maybe five, six trips a year because they know it's only a two to two hour ride, two and a half hour ride from certain you know major cities. Now you got you know twenty minute, half hour ride to go somewhere else. Maybe you only make that trip once a year now instead of four, five, six times in the year. And you, you you multiply that times many different gamblers who are deciding to do that because there's closer casinos to them for what they want to do. There's where your revenues, you know, start dropping down. And guess what? We've seen the effect in Atlantic City with casinos closing down. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see what happens, uh, you know, up in the Northeast. But, you know, when you got uh, different places, West Virginia now going to have online poker. They have <laughs> sports betting, you know. And not that that's a competition for Boston or New York, but all these kinds of places, people are making different plans and where to go on their vacations to see new places. And, uh, you know, it's just a whole different story. So uh, 
The people that no. dominated the poker, the gambling world, the poker world, have really uh, taken it in the shorts. I was having a very interesting conversation. I never even looked at it this way. In in Vegas, you know, the, the mecca for gambling here in the United States. Let me ask you something, Dave. What, what do you think is the, the where the casinos make their most money in Vegas? The big casinos on the Strip. Yeah, okay. You mean the that, games? That's yeah. Uh, I, I got our oh, producers, yeah, which I'll mention what he said. It's like seventy percent. Okay, slots. but I'm talking about in revenue. What produces the most revenue? What produces the most revenue in the in these hotels? Alcohol? No, the rooms. Oh well, yeah. How many thousands of rooms and they're charging for it? The rooms, that's that's profit. That's practically all profit outside of paying whatever your cleaning lady is doing, and, and that's divided over X amount of rooms for each one. And I never thought about that. Someone who you know I, I respect very largely, I thought the gaming revenue was where their biggest you know amount of money for for the for the casino for the corporation. He said, no, it's, it's the rooms, and that made a lot of change. You know. Of thinking of how you can make money, we we outside of the Hard Rock here, we don't have any destination casinos. Yeah. So when you don't have that, you really depend on the locals, and you got to treat them the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take one last break in the show. We'll come back, finish things up with a little bit of news around the world of poker, and uh, we'll take a quick look at the schedule still upcoming over the weekend for the Seminole Hard Rock. So. All that when we return. You're listening to Poker Action Line, and we hope you'll be right back with us after the break. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. The lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables. With a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean, and you can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. Okay, final segment of the show. Uh, one thing I want to run by Joe is uh, people are making their plans and uh, to go to Vegas this summer. A lot of people spend seven weeks out there and stay different places. 
Uh, I want to have Johnny Campus back on the show. He was with us earlier this year, so I'll probably give him a call tomorrow and see if I can get him for next week or the week after. He had some ideas about doing a show about uh, travel plans and hotel and different uh, preparations you need to make if you're going out to Vegas. A lot of people probably not going for the first time, but maybe haven't completely done it right. Uh, There's so many different things from you. If you stay six weeks... And not everybody does, obviously. People come and go and that sort of thing. But if you stay out there for for the entire time to play uh, poker for uh, almost two months, you can get a hotel. If you got a lot of money, you might have your own RV to stay in the parking lot. Uh, you can rent a house. There's lots of houses out there with a bunch a of A lot guys. of players that I know that do that will sometimes combine with themselves and, and rent a house, you know, and... Has three or four bedrooms, a living room, and four guys will split. They'll decide who sleeps in the living room, right. who sleeps in the bedrooms, you know, to curb their expenses because people don't who realize gets the bedroom for sex. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, well, when the poker players are going nonstop, I'm not even sure that that's going to take them off the table. So, um, but there's a lot of expense going into it. There's, you know, the preparation. We've had Bernard Lee on the show talk about some of the things you should do, and let me tell you. Like I said, people think people think that poker is, a, is an easy living, you know, because, oh, you can sleep till whenever. And people just don't realize there's a big cost factor if you're going to be a, a tournament chaser. Yeah, you got to have and, the bankroll. Exactly. And and not just for playing uh, entries. And yeah. you got to have a lot of And think of about it. You're a young, young man or woman doing this. After a while, you're missing friends and family. You know, you're bored to death of staying in your room when you're not playing poker. So you're going to go out to eat, going to go out to drink, out to try to have a good time. All of this, all of this is bleeding off unless unless you have a huge bankroll and the money put aside for expenses. Which honestly, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if there's a large majority that do that does that. You're talking about plans for this. We had Michael Moyd and his wife on here. They were making reservations for the room. Right after they had just come back from the World Series, I don't right. know if you remember him mentioning that when yeah. they were in studio with us, you know, Making those are for the, for the, following, for the year. following year. They yeah. they go, we already got our room for the following year. They made a reservation a year, you know, almost a year in advance to get there. So, first timers, you know, try to follow somebody's plan. But I, I can tell you right now, Dave, for the first time when you're out there and you've you've been out there, the lines and everything else takes its toll on you and you're not prepared for it. Yeah. And I guess sometimes you just got to experience it a little bit because you can follow somebody's plans and unless you're meticulous with that, it, it, you're, you're going to find something that's going to blow your mind over there. Uh, in the time that we've done the show, I've been out there and stayed four or five days, uh, three different years. The first time was 2012. Uh, I can remember back then that I stayed at the Rio and I didn't stay over a sad weekend night, like a Saturday night or something. But... I paid like $55 a night for a room, which is amazing, amazingly low. Well, most Vegas hotels, uh, unless it's a certain season, have great deals from like either Sunday through Thursday or Monday through Thursday, and then obviously their rakes jump up for Friday, Saturday, you know, when they got a lot of people coming in from L.A. who'll take the drive or whatever, so it builds up. You know, they've built so many hotels with so many rooms and people renting their places, I don't know, because I've heard from some of the people that, you know, it's expensive. With tens of thousands of players coming in for the World Series, obviously people want to stay at the Rio, make it very convenient. They also could stay next door at the Golden Nugget, uh, across the street at the Palms. 
Uh, or you could stay on the Strip, some really nice places, Wynn, Aria, places right. like that, Mandalay Bay, uh, MGM. Or you can stay off the Strip in some places and probably get a place for $30, $40 a night. Right, and then the worry is to get there with traffic and stuff like that. I right. don't know how bad the traffic is when the, when the, you know, the WSOP is going on. But I do want to tell you real interesting from a guy that I know that is a big gambler, a big poker player, and I and talking about this it actually reminded me of it. I I asked him, oh, what, how you you know you're going to stay out there for? He was staying for four weeks, you know, so, man, that's, you know, a whole month staying out there, and I said and I said, oh, so he goes he goes, no, nah, I got five days comped at this hotel, then I moved my stuff to this hotel, and in total he had like sixteen. 16 or 18 days of the 28 comped from different hotels because of his, you know, gambling uh, uh, rating. And he goes, and while I'm out there, I'll probably pick up a few extra days. So, you know, room, room, room is not going to be a problem for me hmm. because of the way he gambled. But very few people have that, you know, get that rating to get that many rooms in so many different places. Well, I did want to mention that because I would like to have Johnny on to get some of his expertise on some of that. And uh might be next week, might be the week after, but we'll see what uh, what his schedule is and, and try to do that. Uh, I did want to mention Negranu, who, uh, first of all, uh, May 17th, he's getting married. Well, congratulations uh, the, to you, Dan. The woman he's marrying is the former host of The Big Game, uh, Amanda Leatherman. I don't know if you remember her, but uh, she's been a poker host for on TV for, for several different things. I think she hosted the uh, Heads Up Championship as well one year. But uh, he is getting married to her, and he's going to try something different at the World Series of Poker this year. He says instead of playing the t- mostly 10Ks, the 50Ks, and occasional big buy-in, including uh, the big tournament uh, for charity, he said he's going to come in this year and do something he's never done before, and that is give these gimmicky smaller events a try just to basically set him up to to learn what the average player goes through, which he hasn't done in the past, which I think is a great idea because he does have podcasts, he has uh, different programs, he has classes that he teaches. So in other words, this is so going to be more research. Events. This is going to be more research playing than, than actual. I, mean, I think kind of, yeah. Know. But he says also the reason for it is... Uh, the more caches the make, the more points you get toward Player of the Year, and he really would like to win that this year. So he's going to okay. play a lot of a smaller events, which is 1500s and 3000s, and uh, play a bunch of that stuff. He finished uh, 12th in the No Limit Hold'em uh, event, uh, I guess, last year. I don't know if it was last year, but he said, you know, in the past, he said you could late reg the Colossus, last about two hours on your stack, and you're in the money. And he said, you know, you, he said some of the people are playing like six bullets at it, so people are cashing now 17 to 20 times in the World Series. So he said if he plays a lot of smaller events and gets a lot of caches, then he'll have a much better chance to win Player of the Year, which is one of the things he has not done before for at least for several years, as far as I know. And uh, he'll play some of those things. Well, that sounds really interesting, and he's so entertaining on the tables. So I, I think he's going to have a lot of fun and... and and I think the smaller limit tournament players are going to enjoy, you know, having yeah, him in their tournament. Uh, by the way, he's going to uh, do daily uh, vlogs out there. So uh, if you want to research, follow that, yeah, research again. So catch him. Uh, I think Full Contact Poker, I think, is the name of his site, and he will be playing in a lot of different things. So that should be pretty interesting. Uh, I think we'll look forward to uh, uh, this summer and watching some of that. 
Anyway, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Um, Gio, thank you as usual for all your help. And uh, Joe, thank you as well. I had an interesting conversation about uh, getting back to floor managing. And yeah. I hope people did enjoy the show tonight. Good night, folks. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it, too. Okay. Catch you next week on another edition of Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies.